Hey, how's it going? My name is Sina Palavon. This is the Talk Too Much podcast, episode 29. Um, so this week, I decided to really focus on a couple of special artists. And with episode 29, uh, I started off with Miss Ivana To. Uh, Miss Ivana is from Lithuania. Uh, she lives in Poland. Uh, she's an AI artist. She's also a coder. She codes in Python. And she uses this coding because she's a senior engineer. That's what her main job is. And she uses this coding to make her art. And that's what I found fascinating is she just minted her first uh, NFTs and published them on OpenSea. And for me, I was very excited to talk to her because most artists on OpenSea's Rarible, uh, Maker's Place, whatever, they use Cinema 4D, they use Illustrator, they'll do vector designs. Miss Ivana detailed her process in this uh, interview, and it's much different uh, than any other AI or any other NFTs you guys will see. In fact, if you guys actually look at her art, because I gave I gave you guys a three-minute snippet of her art mixed with music uh, before the interview. It's going to be right after this segment where I finish talking. You can spend three minutes to look at her art so you know what you're looking at when you listen to the interview. Um, but her art is very different than other people's art. Her art... Um, is an is art is AI art. So what she does is she takes a plethora of pictures and uses um, AI software coding to generate art. Um, it's a much different process than any other things you've seen um, being posted so far. So I was very fascinated by this, and I wanted to interview her and really get to the bottom of this and see how she's making this art. Obviously, I'm a I'm a collector, so I'm looking to collect that skill. You know, I'm looking to see if it's any way possible to integrate it into my art. Uh, but it's a very advanced technique, and I have a long ways to go. So this was very fascinating. Take a look at her art. Let me know what you guys think. Look, it's coming right up. Let me know what you think of her art because I found it. Remember, she created all this organically. So all of this, she took the photo. She created this art organically, and that's what's crazy. Um, let me know what you guys think, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode.
Yes, sir. All right, Yvonne. Mom's I'm actually very excited very to. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually very excited to talk to you today. Um, how are you, first of all? Is am I pronouncing your name right, Ivana? Do you hear me? Yes, yes. It's it's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm actually really good. I, I just minted a couple of my works on OpenSea. I saw. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Did you just mint them this morning? <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Just a couple of hours ago. Um, I actually wanted to ask you some questions regarding that. Um, but before we get started, um, since we don't really know each other, if you could introduce yourself and really tell my audience about yourself and your art, because I was really the reason I decided to do this interview is because your art is very unique. It's much different than any other photographers or digital artists uh, that I've seen on OpenSea. So if you could please tell me how you got into this and more about yourself. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so actually, my whole life has been like those two areas that I was interested in. On one part, there was photography, which I was very excited about. Uh, but I was doing that in my free time. On the other hand, I'm working as an AI engineer. So coding on a daily basis in my day job. So I was always kind of, uh, kind of lost between two, those two areas because, you know, there's coding on one hand and then there's photography on the other. And I was also always looking for any, any sort of domains where I could join those two passions. And uh, when I heard about AI art or just GANs in particular a couple of years ago, I was really excited. And I had a couple of ideas for my own project. But then those GANs a couple of years ago, they were not uh very uh quality high in quality you know the images that were generated with gas were yeah really pixelated they were 16 by 16 pixels uh but now with the technology moving forward i'm also like uh working in this research field so also trying to help the research go forward and to be able to generate higher and better resolution images so right now it's getting possible to create really nice looking results. So the results that I'm hoping to see uh, are there now. So this is why I'm really excited that I get to work on those two things at the same time that I found an intersection of AI and photography. And I have this niche where I can just work and express myself and yeah, find the ways to actually do the projects I've been passionate about for quite a long time. So before I get into your art, and because uh, I'm actually really immersed about how you're creating this AI art, uh, I, you said something that caught my eye. You're a coder. So can you tell me more about how you got into coding? Because I think that's one of the most valuable skill sets to have. And what do you code on, if I may ask? Uh, I code in Python. So most of like AI stuff is actually nowadays made in Python, such as TensorFlow, PyTorch libraries. So this would be the toolkit of uh, nowadays AI engineer. And uh, I studied maths, so I graduated in maths. So I already had some background, uh, which was in the sciences. Uh, then I worked in a bank, uh, but it was very boring. And uh, after a couple of years, I just decided I want to try something new. I want to try something uh, exciting. And this was the time where uh, data science and machine learning started getting uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of actually gaining momentum. So it was 
the first models were developed in machine learning, the first computer vision stuff. And I saw a couple of blog posts about that and I decided they want to learn coding. I didn't have a lot of coding skills because while studying math, they focused on theoretical side. So, you know, a lot of writing with pen and pencil on your paper, it was not really coding there. Uh, so I started learning a lot in my free time. And then I switched jobs from like uh, high ranking banking position. I went to junior level machine learning engineer or maybe even an internship. I don't remember what was that. It was like half the pay <laughs> worse uh, working conditions, but it was actually worthwhile because after a couple of years, I actually made a lot of progress and now I'm a senior AI engineer. So yeah, I've developed much. So you took, just to clarify for my audience, you took a lower paying uh, internship position and sacrificed your job for your dream in a way, right? Did you? So I have yes, a, exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I really, and that's what I'm starting to get out of uh, to like reach that level that we want to reach at. You have to take those chances, chances, especially as an artist. Um, I want to get into now. So you code on Python. How do you generate your art? Like you take a. Can you explain your process exactly? Because I'm very confused on how AI art is made. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, so, so actually uh, my approach to generating AI art is a bit unique in a way that I create my own data sets. So I don't scrap the internet for pictures. Uh, I don't use existing data sources because when you use existing data sources, all those AI generated arts are very similar and I wanted to have something different and unique. This is why I actually make my own pictures. It's a lengthy process as you need to have like 2000 images at least. And it's the, the smallest number of training images that you need in order to like train a good model. So you have to spend some time collecting those images and you also have to be quite consistent in a way, how do you make those pictures? So I usually start out with a clear idea what I want to achieve. So what kind of aesthetic I'm looking for? Uh, what kind of features, what kind of shapes? What is actually my goal in this experiment? What I want to, what I want to see? So for example, I had this project where I wanted to create new buildings in my uh, hometown. So I was going around photographing buildings and I was hoping to see some new non-existing buildings made by AI. So there's this element, element of surprise. Of course, you cannot 100% influence what you're going to get, uh, but you have to get, have to have a goal and actually an established experiment. So, uh, so have a setting, have a question that you need, want to be answered with AI. So after I have this uh, theme and this aesthetic, I go on and just shoot images, uh, a lot of them. I try to use the same camera, the similar settings. So because the less ambiguity in the training model, the more, uh, the better the results are actually. And after collecting this data, I start training. So this is where I get to the coding part. I upload all the images. I write some custom code in the Python. I use some of the open source libraries for training, such as StyleGAN. So this architecture is actually the one that gives you the best high quality results. Uh, StyleGAN allows you to have 1000 pixel by 1000 pixel output images. 
but there's still a lot of tuning. So after your first experiment, you might get the results that are okay, but you might want to change the, uh, the variation, the shapes. You might want to play with different parameters, maybe tweak something a little bit. Uh, the, uh, actually, the work of the AI engineer is a bit creative itself. Uh, it's not as established pipeline as you have in like web development or mobile development. Here you really, it's, some people say it's art of machine learning because you have a lot of those different knobs. You have a lot of those different parameters that you might want to tune, but there is no established rules on what should you do. With experience, you get some, uh, some intuition. But still, uh, there is a lot of craft and unknowns. So, so that's why it's also really exciting to train this process. And after training, you start seeing some initial results. And also, there is a huge part in creating. So you get infinity of different images. And you want to choose the ones that are the best, the ones that tell your story in the best possible way. So, this is the final, the last step, but this one also requires your work on how do you choose the results? How do you generate videos from the still images? Uh, yeah, so this will be uh, the, the process and, and summary. Okay, so I wanted to ask because now, number one, I do want to, if you, be, before I air this episode, like before the conversation, I would like to showcase your art at the beginning of the episode. So after the show, if you could send me some videos of your art, I would appreciate that. Um, I actually wanted to ask you a, a question. So your art is very abstract. And you mentioned just now that when you take these, so you go around, you take original photos, which by the way, I'm trying to do too. I use Cinema 4D. So I'm, I'm just going to give you a quick backstory of my idea is right now we're doing an interview. I want to create a digital art piece of Cinema 4D that puts your face in the interview in the art piece. And it has like a, a wavy background with a clip of you saying something important. I want to mint that and sell it as an NFT. It'd be the first ever podcasting NFT. So, but that's a controlled art piece. Like I know what's going to happen. And then when you were talking just now, you mentioned that you take, you control by taking the data, collecting the data, right? And when you write the code, you don't have full c control over how the art turns out, right? It's, it's very abstract. Exactly. It's abstract. So I wanted to ask you, what goes into your selection process after you generate these images off your Py off Python? What makes you choose? Okay, that's the image. And, and then I wanted to actually follow up with how do you create your videos? Because you create these moving motion graphics and you'll mix it with music. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so coming back to your first question, uh, you on one hand, you have to influence the data quite well. After training some of the models, I kind of realized that it's really crucial uh, the model gives you what it gets. So as some data engineers say, trash in, trash out. So you have to be really careful about the inputs to the model. So uh, when I wanted to create abstract shapes, I actually tried to make photos that also looked a bit abstract. So I used artificial red lightning and I was uh, using uh, 1.4 lenses. So it has a very shallow depth of field. So already there is some a nice blurry background that I wanted to have in my created images. And then the shapes that I was uh, taking pictures of, I also was trying to go for kind of aesthetic that I wanted to have in the generated images. 
because if I were to take uh, yeah, some particular shapes, I would also get them. So I was careful about uh, making those abstract images in the training data already so that the uh, trained model would actually follow my aesthetic and try to make something similar. Uh, but then again, after you train a model, it's not perfectly the same thing that you have in mind. Uh, the networks are actually quite good at capturing some minor details that you didn't want to have in your training data. So there might be some, uh, some noise or some shadows, some little things that you didn't really notice in the image. And the, the networks are very good at actually giving it to the generated images. So this is why the creation is, is very important. And I go through all the generated images and I select only the ones that fit uh, my ideas. So this would be coming back to the question that I had in the beginning. What is the goal of my experiment? So maybe I want to create some weird shapes uh, that reference to the common objects that we have in our life. Maybe I want to recreate uh, some buildings. Maybe I want to recreate, maybe I want to play with texture. Uh, in my other experiment, I also played with analog photography. So I wanted to recreate this, this magical feeling of analog photography that we have. So this is where I come again to this, uh, to this uh, research or artistic question that I had in the beginning. And having that in mind, I tried to choose the, the images that represented the best. And now when I have the still images, um, there is a very nice thing that I can write a code that would interpolate between any two images that model has generated. So let's say I have image A and image B, and like both of them, and then I write a code which in this multi-dimensional uh, generated space interpolates between those two images. So it creates this warping effect between two different objects. So if I had two different objects, it would just uh, warp between them. And now another thing that I do when I create the music videos is that I take a soundtrack, I extract the sound waves from that, and then using those sound waves, I try to warp between object A and object B uh, in, the, uh, in the coherence with the uh, sound waves such as pulse motion and taking into account of those uh, music features. So there is a bit of curation and like you, you definitely have some influence over uh, the, the general outcome. Mm, you don't have the uh, influence over the general shapes, but after you create them, you can choose the ones that you want to have in the video and then also to warp them accordingly to the soundtrack that is there. So yeah, that's, that's still a lot of playing, definitely less, uh, uh, less, uh, less procedures than when you have, when you create all the process manually, of course, uh, here you also have some unknowns, uh, but I think that having some of the unknowns is also quite fascinating as you are never 100 sure about the general outcome, which actually makes it a bit similar to film photography where you uh, take an analog camera, you, you have a general idea about how your image is going to look like, but it's not 100% being in control of. And yeah, this is what it's making it exciting. 
I actually can relate to you just because right now, uh, I don't know if you've, you've probably heard of the software. Have you heard of Cinema 4D, the 3D motion software? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm a 2D editor, so I edit on Photoshop, Illustrator, Premiere. And I realized, I've been looking, when NFTs came out, I was looking at all these photos. I'm like, how are they making this? And I realized, oh, they're going into Cinema 4D. But when you go into Cinema 4D, it's very similar to what you just said. You have to build out the set and you have to set the lighting and you could render it, but you and you could say, see how like closely it'll look, but you'll never know the exact true outcome. And I think you said something smart. That's actually what makes it artistic in, in the first sense. Now, I want to ask you, because you take really quickly, I glossed over this part. What camera do you use to take your photos? Uh, so actually, I have a couple of different ones from my last project I used by Canon 6D Mark. So uh, I also have a very nice lenses, Sigma Art 1.4. I really like it for the bouquet and depth of field. Sigma's yeah, amazing. It's yeah. a really nice one. Yeah. Uh, but also I have a couple of uh, film cameras as well. So I love to take uh, film photography. It's a bit more expensive, of course. Uh, I cannot imagine making a training data set of 2,000 images with film camera. Unfortunately, not yet. But uh, yeah, maybe when I'm rich and famous, I will be making my training data sets with uh, analog cameras. How long does it take uh, you to take those 2,000 photos? How long does it take you? It really depends. It really depends on what kind of uh, problem is that. So the last one was actually very quick. Quick. It was like uh, seven days as all of my training data was taken inside my apartment. So I was just using, you know, objects that I have inside uh, my home. And there is actually, this is a fascinating exercise in making pictures because uh, it, it, it brings some new creative avenues as you're taking pictures inside your home for half an hour. Uh, this is the magic uh, time point after which you realize some new angles. You suddenly lie on the floor. You realize there is some nice shape on the ceiling. There is some really weird corner. There is some very uh, interesting looking pattern on your wardrobe. There, this is the moment when some really weird-looking abstract shapes actually come into play. So it was a very interesting experiment, and uh, taking those pictures for the training data was very fun itself. So this was quick because I was making it at home. I, I got to spend a lot of time at home, as I probably everyone right now. So this was also an activity that helped me get through spending a lot of time at home. Uh, for other ones, for example, when I have to be outside while shooting, uh, it, it will take more. I don't want to take um, usually more than 200, 400 pictures a day because afterwards it might get boring or, or you just get tired. I want this process to be fun and creative and uh, it's, uh, it's not my regular job. So I don't want to lose the enthusiasm with working about it. The most important thing for me is just to have fun and to uh, create art and to be in this process. So it really depends on the day. Sometimes you have very good flow and you make 500 images, but sometimes after 50 images, I'm just like, no, today I don't want to do that. So, so yeah, it really depends you, on you, the day. And you'll never pressure yourself to like uh, work hard. Like you'll just really like stick within your, like make sure you don't lose enthusiasm for what you're doing, right? So exactly, I, exactly. So I wanted to uh, quickly ask you because 
you your art is so complex and for me this is a, a big not a big problem because i have a method of reference but what is your source of motivation like you told me you you find a lot of aspects that you look at interesting but when you sit down when you're getting ready to create a project um what what do you use to find inspiration like how do you get going like do you generally like create an idea in your head before you start uh yeah that's a really good one uh, so actually what I do is I always carry a notebook, a paper notebook. I really like to take notes in a paper one. And uh, when, well, when you just sit there and think for a creative idea, uh, in the majority of cases, you will not get that. So it's important just to immerse in the world of inspirations. And if there is an inspiration, just write it down. So it might come up when I'm walking around. It might come up when I'm cooking or doing some other things. Uh, maybe I'm reading a research paper and suddenly I see this new architecture and I have this idea for a creative project that I might do. Right now I don't have the time, but I just uh, write it down in my paper notebook. And then later when I have the time to actually start a new project, I get through all my ideas and choose the one that sounds most interesting. So also I try to, yeah, I try to immerse in this world of art, read a lot of uh, books, uh, watch a lot of albums, uh, the classical ones, actually. So I don't have any, um, any kind of formal education in arts, but I really love uh, reading about classical artists, painters, photographers um, from 16th century up to 23rd century. So I have a lot of different books at my home and I just like to look for them. I'm a, um, I'm a believer that if you just look at a lot of different uh, artworks, uh, your brain will do the magic and you will get this creative idea. It might not happen at the same moment when you're reading on the world, you're looking at art. It might happen uh, one hour later on, or on a different day, but you just have to get this content in your consciousness to be working on that, to look at a lot of creative things. Uh, also look at the stuff that other uh, generative artists are doing or any other digital artists. So I try to be in this world and just to see what other people are doing and uh, give the work of uh, finding new ideas to my consciousness, which is working there somewhere in the background. And, and it really works, but you never know the time and place of your next idea. So I wanted to ask you next, um, two more questions uh, regarding this. Um, what, so your art is all very similar color pattern, is it not? There are some black and white photos, but why do you choose that? Um, I don't know if it's beige, reddish. What, why do you choose that specific color scheme for your pieces? Uh, yeah, so actually that one is a funny one because the reason is quite simple. This color aesthetic reminds me quite a lot of race. And Raves? right now there's, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I understand that completely. I miss those. Yeah, exactly. I miss those so much, like going to electronic music festivals, underground raves, and this, this whole scene. And this is why I actually started uh, putting on the red light bulb in my apartment, you know, uh, listening to some music, to some techno, and this is where this idea came to. So there is this, those abstract shapes. And yeah, it's just this inspiration. 
So I was going to talk to you moving on about raves because now that makes a lot more sense for for your for some of those music pieces I've seen. I wanted to ask you because I did look through your OpenSea bio and I was I was happy because yesterday you just had your portfolio and today now you have your OpenSea bio. So number one, um, I was I was going to ask you, are you going to publish those music pieces? Because I think those will those are pretty valuable. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, so actually, uh, right now I'm collaborating with a couple of artists and, uh, there's also this thing that when, when you're collaborating with audio artists, it's, it's not any longer just your work, it's a shared work. So with a, with accordingly to copyrights, you're not the sole owner of the piece, but then you have to establish on how are you going to share this artwork. So this is where it gets a bit more complicated with the NFTs where you have a collaboration with different artists. Uh, so I have already a couple of ongoing collaboration trips that I hope will end up in the official NFTs. And I think it's also an amazing area for all kinds of artists is that NFTs open up to all kinds of artists to work together. And when you work together with different people, this is where amazing stuff happens and you can achieve even more. So, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I agree with that. And, and that's something I've, I've, I've realized that uh, art is more of a collaborative process. And I was going to ask you on that, actually, how did you come about to go through these collaborations? Like, how did you connect with these people? And what made you decide to do that? Because your art is very standout and unique. What made you decide to collaborate with someone else? Um, yeah, so that was uh, that was a very simple one. So first of all, I started reaching out to some of my friends that were creating music, and you know they they also liked uh, some of the stuff that I was doing. So it was a natural one that hey, I'm doing something with the visuals, I'm doing something with the audio. Maybe you can create some visuals for me. Oh, that's actually nice. I'm looking for a track for my visuals to react to. So this, this started out as, as being quite natural. Um, but then going forward, uh, when you leave your uh, inner friend circle, you just need to reach out to some, uh, to some starting artists, to some uh, musicians. Uh, one important thing for me is definitely to collaborate with people whose work I love. And uh, I cannot imagine working with someone that I didn't like his music, for example. But uh, on the other hand, there are so many amazing artists out there and who are also emerging. So they don't even need to have a huge fan base. And yeah, this is, uh, this is where cool things happen. We're similar in the sense of, I, I kind of agree with you in the sense of, uh, for my podcast, for anybody, like I've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask to come on, but I don't look at the numbers. You know, everybody just looks at, I do admit, like as a podcaster, you want to leverage someone with a bigger audience. So I'm not completely oblivious to that. But when a couple of people reached out to me and asked to come on my podcast, they had like 15,000 followers, 20,000 followers. I don't even remember, but, and they were artists. But when I looked at their work, God, this needs to refocus. When I looked at their work, you know, I wasn't, it felt like they were, I don't want to say scamming, but they were. And that's when I realized, like, I kind of agree with you in the sense of when it comes to art, your art, my art, how I am about, I'm very selfish with my art. And what I mean by that is not like I want to hog it to myself, but I have a high standard for it. I don't, you know, I'm putting out my first piece this week and it's not going to be anywhere as good as your piece, you know, 
But it, for us, this is my first ever cinema 4D piece. You know, I'm actually like my standard for it is very high. I'm not going to put it out until I think it's, you know, render quality perfect. So I kind of agree with you in the sense of it's authenticity. It's better to, you know, preserve your art than the numbers. Um, I was going to ask you, are you dedicated? Because you mentioned something about NFTs and to end this interview, are you going forward fully dedicated to, you know, pu- uh, building your NFT portfolio and publishing your art um, on these NFT platforms? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so that's a good one. I mean, for me, it's a bit like exploring. So I feel that NFT space is a different area for you to get your artworks out, to, to, get, uh, to get audience, to find audience. Uh, it's also a great tool for any full-time artist to, to make a living and to sell their works. Uh, for me, it's not that much about making my living as uh, I do it for fun and just to create some nice stuff. So my goal is not to sell them for uh, thousands of dollars, uh, more just uh, let's try out this new cool tool. And myself uh, working with technology is also quite natural that when there is something new out there, I love to try it out and then to see where it goes. Uh, It's very difficult for me to say right now if I'm going to go full time with this NFT space. It's all in this initial phase where you don't know where it's going to, what's going to happen and which direction it's going to go. I think it's quite fascinating that we are living in those early times and a lot of different people are telling uh, different uh, visions for this uh, scene and I'm hoping to see it grow and I hope that those initial experiments will grow into something bigger. But on the other hand, if it doesn't and if I find this uh, NFT in any ways limiting or not uh not due to my expectations i also feel that like ethical and environment environmental uh issues are quite important here so i'm still not sure how i feel about it so yeah i I think i will give it some time experiment with the nfts and just see where it takes me and when you say environmental you're referring to the large amounts of energy it takes to create this tech and, and or what are you referring to environmentally because i agree with you there's are there's a big environmental issue around this whole tech space because ethereum and bitcoin like to mine these to create these it takes a large amount of energy and resources large so yeah i was going to ask you and i i fully agree with you it, it's it's crazy because just like if you asked me a year ago i would have said wow we're so advanced but now with all the introduction of this new tech I feel like we're in the 1900s. I feel like we're just at, just like you said, we're at the very early stages. Like our grandchildren will probably live, like experience the the fruits of, of what we're go- what we're being introduced to. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, exactly. Where are you from, by the way? Are you from Ukraine or Romania? Uh, I'm from Lithuania. Oh, you're Lithuania? Um, but I live in Poland. Oh, yeah, okay. I yeah. thought someone said, I thought you said you were Ukrainian. I, I was like, oh, where is she from? Eastern European. Or from Eastern Europe. I'm Romanian, so I was. I'm looking for. I'm reaching out to all these artists from Europe, and I'm looking for some Romanians. I cannot find any Romanian artists. Um, but thank you so much. I, for, I feel you. Yeah. Thank uh, you. I I didn't find any Lithuanian artists so far as well. So. <laughs> By the way, how do we, you said you live in Poland? Yeah. 
when did you move to Poland? How long have you been in Poland for? Oh, it's actually 10 years now. So yeah, it's been a while. Fortunately, Warsaw and Vilnius are very close by, so I don't even feel that I'm living abroad. I go to Vilnius very often. I have many How friends far away? there, family. Uh, it's 400 kilometers, so yeah. I don't know. It's like a couple, like a couple hours. Miles. Yeah, a couple hour drive. Yeah. That, that's very Not funny bad. in Romania like everybody in Europe like uh here in the states when you you know when you graduate high school when you go to college when you leave your parents you go across the country you go somewhere else but in Europe like in Romania you go to another city you go in the neighboring country you're right there I love that um <laughs> I was gonna ask yeah. you if you if you could please send me um some videos or some arts like a lot of them I'm gonna make a composition I would like to feature your art at the beginning of this episode so when our viewers watch this interview they know what they're looking at. You know, they have a, a guide of reference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I really want to thank you for this interview. Um, AIR is something that I was never introduced to actually until I ran into your profile. And I'm very fascinated with how it's created. I think it's a very unique art that's completely different from anything I'm doing or anybody in the NFT space is doing. And I very much admire it. And I'm actually curious to see where you take your art portfolio. Um, so I want to thank you again, Ivana. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. It was really nice talking to you and also meeting you. And I'm looking forward to your NFT art. Uh, uh, don't yeah. look that forward to it. It's not going to be as good as yours, but I'll try my best. No, I'm kidding. I'll, I, I do believe. Listen, I was going to end this off. This is something that's been bothering me. How long did it take you to get confident with your work? Like for you, like right now, like I bet you when you sit down to start your piece, you just know where everything is. You're, you know, you just are comfortable with the software. I'm, I know what's in my head. But I, I can't like I'm still not comfortable with the buttons and the software. So how long did it take you to get to the point where you could just create art fluidly? Oh, it's up. Uh, I think on one hand, you never. Sorry, do you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Sorry, I think it, it, my connection was was not perfect. Uh, yeah, so I think that's the thing where you never get really to the point where you are 100% confident and you're always going to be a beginner and this is where it's fascinating as soon as I feel that I'm an expert in something I tend to get bored so I try to find new areas where I'm not as expert as I uh, as I'm in other ones so I actually try to approach this being a beginner or being not super confident and fluent in technology as something good because this is where creative energy actually happens. When you don't know how to use the technology, you might use it in a totally different ways than people who are accustomed to that. So I would say that this is actually a benefit. And a lot of artists are saying, don't lose your beginner uh, vibe. So don't stop approaching photography, arts, paintings, digital art as a beginner, because this is where you get the best ideas from. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't need to settle. Actually, when you settle is where you stop growing. So you, you don't need to stop growing. This is, this is the most important part, I would say. So by, being not, by feeling unconfident, you have the opportunity to grow, and you have to the opportunity to explore and you're not afraid of that.
So this is a good thing, and you have to approach it in in this way and uh, and not be afraid of that. Yeah, I'm starting to realize that people like uh, hmm, the job of an artist is to constantly be intimidated by, I guess, by the digital artist. I guess like always be a beginner is kind of what you're saying. But thank you so much, Ivana. I, I really appreciate that, and um, I do think this interview will be out probably in a day or two. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Let me know. Looking forward to that. And yeah, really nice talking to you. Thank you, Ivana. If you could send me your work and we're, we're good to go. Good to go. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for the interview.